lowest female unemployment in 18 years. I've created so many jobs in the field of paying porn stars to keep quiet. You're welcome, ladies. Well, there's that. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm too scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast and KQSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. As we try to uh, stitch together uh, another show that uh, is uh, changing here by the minute today, uh, Desi Doyen, you'll be coming up a little bit later for yes. sure with your Green News report. So there's that. There is that. Uh, unfortunately, we've got uh, a, another tragic fossil fuel related story today in that report. Uh, but that's ahead. Um, also, uh, legal complaints have now been filed with the Federal Elections Commission and the U.S. Department of Justice regarding the $130,000 hush money payoffs that the president of the United States reportedly paid to a porn star just before the 2016 presidential election. We will be joined by the attorney who just filed those complaints on Monday that could ensnare the Trump campaign, the Trump organization, potentially even Donald Trump himself, in yet another scandal, criminal or otherwise, add it to the list of things that would uh, seemingly have long ago taken down any other presidency. But since, uh, but since this story will be all but lost uh, by tomorrow, I suspect. I think we need to start here with this still breaking news coming out of Kentucky today where another high school has turned into a scene of American carnage, as Donald Trump used that phrase in his inaugural address just over a year ago. This time, uh, the scene is rural western Kentucky where 14 people were wounded, two of them fatally Students all after a shooter opened fire Tuesday morning at Marshall County High School. 
According to uh, Governor Matt Bevin in a news conference uh, shortly after the shooting, another five people sustained injuries in that uh, in the, uh, during that melee that occurred. A 15-year-old male student was arrested at the scene, will be charged with murder and attempted murder, according to Governor Bevin. The slain victims were a boy and a girl. Both of them were 15 years old this time. The girl died at the scene, and the boy died reportedly at a hospital a bit later, according to State Police Commissioner Richard Sanders. The conditions of the injured students were not immediately known, um, though five young men, including three with gunshot wounds to the head and one shot in the chest, were flown about 120 miles to Nashville, Tennessee's Vanderbilt University Medical Center, Marshall County where the shooting took place uh, in Kentucky, is just north of the border with uh, with Tennessee. Sanders said the suspect, armed with a handgun, walked into the school just before 8 a.m. local time and started shooting. Now, the story is uh, still developing as we go to air here, so details remain somewhat sparse as of airtime, though I noticed it's already being backpaged, incredibly enough. I, uh, I went over to CNN.com to see what details they had, and finding this story from their front page was not even easy. Really? Already, yeah. My goodness. Um, so this thing is already disappearing quickly because, you know, just another school shooting, just another, what, 15 students ki- uh, shot, two of them killed, just another day in America, apparently. Police apprehended the shooter uh, shortly after the shooting, according to the AP. They have no reason to suspect anyone else was involved in the shooting, according to a state detective uh, in the, uh, the Murray Ledger and Times. Police say the school is now secure. The Kentucky shooting is the first fatal school shooting of 2018, according to the AP. It is not by any measure the first school shooting, sadly enough. This attack marked the year's uh, first fatal shooting uh, 23 days into 2018. But according to data compiled by the Gun Violence Archive, which relies on media reports and other information, the anti-violence group uh, Every Every Town for Gun Safety has counted at least 283 shootings at schools since 2013. 283 shootings at schools in the last uh, four years. This shooting uh, on Tuesday comes a day after another shooting at another high school, this time in Italy, Texas, which I've never heard of. You're from Texas. Have you heard of Italy, Texas? No, I haven't. Never heard of it. In uh, Italy, Texas, a 16-year-old student shot a 15-year-old girl who is uh, thankfully now recovering from her injuries. The uh, Kentucky governor said in his statement that, quote, it is unbelievable that this would happen in a small, close-knit community like Marshall County. Others said the same today, but many such school shootings across the nation have indeed happened in rural communities. In fact, this very same part of Kentucky has seen school shootings in the past, according to the AP Marshall County High School is about 30 minutes from Heath High School in Paducah, Kentucky, where a 1997 mass shooting killed three and injured five. So far in 2018, there have been at least nine school shootings. 
according so, to every town, uh, every town for gun safety. Yeah. Say that again. Uh, nine school shootings in and it's, the and what, it's, 23 and we, three days. or so days. Yes. My goodness. Uh, this, however, is the first to have reported fatalities. So there's that, I guess. Bevins, the governor, is, uh, of course, a Tea Party Republican. He has uh, been supported by the terrorist enabling National Rifle Association, who has uh, placed gun rights above the uh, safety of all Americans. Uh, Bevins has placed it above his own constituents, like pretty much the entirety of the Republican Party at this point. Uh, Congresswoman, uh, former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, who survived being shot in the head in 2011, said it's horrifying that we can no longer call school shootings unimaginable because the reality is they happen with alarming frequency. She called on Congress to strengthen gun laws. That call will no doubt never be answered, at least not by this Congress. Uh, what we don't know still at this time is the shooter's identity. Uh, or the victim's identities, for that matter, uh, or the shooter's motive. But we do know that he was able to fire off one shot after another after another, according to witnesses. Alexandria Caporali, who grabbed her stunned friend and ran into a classroom as their classmates uh, hit the floor, said, uh, quote, he was determined. He knew what he was doing. It was one right after another. Bang, 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 she added. You could see him, uh, you could see his arm jerking as he was pulling the trigger. So there you go. Just another day in the USA. Speaking of CNN and Republicans willing to do nothing at all about this years-long epidemic, Republicans who pretend they're interested in protecting America, uh, over two days earlier this month, 19-year-old Michigan resident Brandon Greisimer made uh, close to two dozen menacing calls to CNN's Atlanta headquarters, threatening to kill everyone in the building. In several of those calls, according to court documents filed on uh, Friday of uh, last week, uh, he told an operator on January 9, upon making first uh, contact with CNN, uh, quote, fake news. I'm coming to gun you all down. F you, F and N words. Around half an hour later, uh, he called back, said, I'm coming for you, CNN. I'm smarter than you, more powerful than you. I have more guns than you, more manpower. Your cast is about to get gunned down in a matter of hours. Trump has, of course, repeatedly tweeted and retweeted to his tens of millions of followers images showing CNN, uh, mocked up images showing CNN being hit by a train, being body slammed, uh, clinging to the bottom of his shoe. CNN was the most meddled honoree at Trump's virtual fake news awards last week, coming away with the four of the top 11 spots. Today, uh, despite the news of uh, this threat by someone who is clearly a follower of his, Trump renewed his attacks on the cable news channel. Uh, later, after that first call on January 9, an investigator hired by CNN was able to trace that call uh, to a number that was registered to this guy's father. It turned out to be the same number that uh, this guy had used to call the Islamic Center of Ann Arbor in September 
to make derogatory comments about Muslims. That, according to police records uh, cited in those same court documents, Ann Arbor police spoke to his mother after that incident. The court documents said urged him to have him call them. He did, acknowledging that he had called the mosque and, quote, that he was angry at the time of the call. Wonder what could have made him angry at uh, Muslims who have done in really Michigan almost nothing at that point. Yeah, last uh, last wow. year. Uh, so this guy and nothing was done apparently about this guy. The day after the first call to CNN, he called CNN again, promising a quote team of people on their way to Atlanta. He said it's going to be great, man. You got to get prepared for this one, buddy. His father says this whole thing has been a mistake. He really didn't mean any of it. He didn't know what he was saying, the seriousness of it. We're, we're not even gun owners or anything like that. We don't have any. Neither does he, he added. I hope the father is right there. WGCL, which first reported uh, Greismer's arrest, noted that he had been released on a $10,000 unsecured bond. So we will hope nothing more comes of that. But that's where we are. I really hate to say this, but yeah. I, I haven't seen any photos of, of the young man. But I presume he's white. Uh, I actually I don't know. I don't know that either. Okay. But it would hardly shock me at all. Right. Uh, and that, of course, while the uh, DHS and DOJ are busy looking for uh, people who aren't white, uh, doing all sorts of things while ignoring those who are white. Uh, who go around threatening people. Yep. And uh, killing people at a rate far higher than Islamic terrorists in this country. Uh, All right. um, Moving on here. The Washington Post uh, has been doing some excellent reporting uh, over the past few uh, hours on what happened throughout the weekend shutdown of the federal government, uh, as well as what happened to cause the Democrats to buckle in their demands on Monday after they had held strong over the weekend in their promise to not pass any government funding measure unless it included protections for some 800,000 children of immigrants brought to this country illegally years ago, most of whom uh, have never known any other country than the U.S. At this point, Trump has promised to begin deportation, begin deporting them on March 5, after he lifted the Obama-era DACA protections, unless a fix is passed to protect the so-called dreamers by Congress. It seems impossible to me at this point that any such measure will be passed by Congress, much less approved by this president. Um, And I don't have uh, as much time as I had hoped for this uh, to go through some of the details here, but I'll try to get uh, hit some of this here from Washington Post. Republicans pursued a clear strategy to keep Trump contained during the three day standoff that ended on Monday concerning this uh, government shutdown. A president communicating a deliberate and simple message while largely hidden from public view. Yes, they kept him out of public view. They didn't want him to say anything. They didn't want him to talk. Photo released by the White House that I'm sure you've seen over the weekend showed him sitting uh, sitting in the Oval Office behind a desk with no papers on it at all. A completely blank desk, not even a pen. Wearing a white Make America Great Again hat while... <laughs> appearing to talk on the phone. I want to say (laughs) pretending to talk on the phone. Uh, This epitomized Trump's role during the roughly 72-hour crisis, a president to be seen but not publicly heard outside the confines of his team's highly controlled communications operation. 
Uh, and basically, they didn't want him to say anything. They didn't want him to do anything. White House staff members, communication members wanted to control the entire message because apparently Trump was tempted by Democrat Majority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer's offer to provide wall funding and increased defense spending while creating a legislative solution for young undocumented immigrants, according to administration and legislative aides. But White House Chief of Staff John Kelly later called with Trump on the line and outlined concerns that Trump had not previously raised himself. This is John Kelly. This is uh, Stephen Miller, uh, Trump's advisor on these issues. Those are the guys pulling the strings. Trump would have agreed to what Schumer wanted. But over the weekend, aides like Mulvaney, Kelly, uh, Mick Mulvaney, the the, the, the budget uh, director, uh, John Kelly, communications director Mark Short, warned Trump to stay out of the fight, let it play out on Capitol Hill. They would take care of it. They're going to play this as a Schumer shutdown, argue that Democrats are holding the government military hostage by trying to link an unrelated policy issue on immigration to this funding bill and go on to make it clear that the White House would not negotiate on anything while the government remained closed. This does not bode well for what is likely to happen, what, just uh, just over two weeks from now when this short-term spending bill runs out. Democrats are under the impression that they'll be able to, uh, well, all they got was a promise of sorts from Mitch McConnell to have a vote on the DACA issue. Maybe, maybe they'll get that vote, uh, but it is not likely to be on good terms. And even if it does pass the U.S. Senate, uh, as we mentioned on yesterday's show over in the U.S. House, uh, they've got a, a far more radical uh, anti-immigrant bill that they are going to try to pass off as their DACA fix. Apparently, as is being reported this afternoon, the bipartisan measure from the U.S. Senate is, according to the White House, dead on arrival. So this measure that uh, had been worked on that would give Trump pretty much well everything and more than he had originally been asking for on this, that is dead on arrival. So uh, you know, in just over two weeks, we're going to face this situation again. And the question is going to be, will Democrats be able to hang on to their spine this time? Or will they fold as they did? Apparently, as uh, Washington Post is also reporting, um, the Democrats lost their will to go on after uh, feeling heat and finding it hard to control the messaging war. Voters in Florida, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin were getting Republican robocalls saying the Democrats had prioritized illegal immigrants over American citizens. Well, what did you think was going to happen, Democrats? So they caved, basically, fearing that this could uh, harm their uh, their chances of uh, taking back the, the Senate or the House this November. They cited a survey of red state voters, which was conducted last month by the Senate Majority PAC, which uh, aims to elect Democrats to the Senate, showing that 48 percent of respondents would blame the Democrats for a shutdown compared with 39 percent who said the fault would lie with Trump and the Republicans. 
So, uh, but after the government was shut down, apparently there was a large group of 25 senators, uh, both Republican and Democrats, that went to work to try to fix this thing. And that's the way this uh, place is supposed to work, said Senator Claire McCaskill, Democrat from Missouri. She said, so I'd rather dwell on that than what might have been had we not gotten this done. She said she, of course, is battling for re-election in a state that Trump won by nearly 19 points in 2016. That's right, in Missouri. Yes, uh, Senator McCaskill, he may have won there in 2016 by 19 points, but that was before his subsequent disastrous first year in office and before, by the way, Missouri Republicans have themselves been embarrassed by their own new governor, who is now mired in a sordid sex and blackmail scandal. I mean, if Democrats want to accomplish anything under this president, much less take over either chamber this November, much less prevent 800,000 kids who have lived here for decades from being deported, they better figure out quickly how to stand up for what the Democratic Party claims they believe in. Because we're going to be in the same place two weeks from now. So Democrats have a lot of work. They better figure it out. But speaking of sordid sex and blackmail scandals, a quick break here. And we are back with the lawyer who has now filed a legal complaint in the matter of Donald Trump's reported hush money payoff to porn actress Stormy Daniels. That story is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com donate. And thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Stormy weather indeed for this White House for Team Trump. Uh, A week or so ago, the Wall Street Journal, the Rupert Murdoch-owned Wall Street Journal, reported that Michael Cohen, a longtime personal lawyer to Donald Trump and to the Trump Organization, paid the former adult film actress Stephanie Clifford, known as Stormy Daniels, $130,000 in exchange for her silence about an alleged sexual affair that they had in 20, uh, 2006. While Trump was already married to now First Lady Melania Trump, reportedly shortly after she had given birth to their son, Barron. The payment was reportedly made just before the 2016 presidential election, I think less than a month before, after Cohn had set up a private limited liability corporation by the name of Essential Consultants, LLC. 
solely in order to make the payment to the porn star as hush money. To prevent her from telling her story amid allegations from nearly 20 women during the campaign that the now president had engaged in various forms of sexual harassment and or assault with during his uh, years as a real estate tycoon and reality TV star. Following the initial report from the Wall Street Journal a week or so ago, Cohen said in a statement that Trump, quote, vehemently denies any encounter between himself and the porn star, though a recent article published by In Touch magazine based on an, on an interview with Clifford slash Daniels back in 2011, long before Trump had announced his intention to run for president, offers a number of very specific and salacious details of their encounter together. For her part, Clifford hasn't responded to the claims uh, directly, to my knowledge, beyond a denial that there was uh, any affair or payoff that was offered on her behalf by Michael Cohen, Trump's personal lawyer himself. So take that for what it's worth. But while a story like this, as, um, as salacious as it is, seems like it would be a huge story had it involved any other president, either Democratic or Republican, Despite that, this matter is still, by and large, being relegated to the back pages of the major newspapers, barely making a blip on cable news channels, and to my knowledge, not really even being discussed, much less investigated in the halls of Congress. Of course, what a president does in his personal life is not of much concern to me unless he or she has violated the law in some fashion. For example, in the case with Missouri's new Republican governor, Eric Greitens, right now, who's facing accusations that he taped a woman, uh, physically taped a woman who was not his wife to exercise equipment in his home and then photographed and threatened blackmail against her. That is also a case where the politician in question ran as a so-called family values candidate. And the indiscretion is a pretty clear demonstration of blatant hypocrisy, at the very least, if it's true. But Trump did not run as a family values candidate by any arguable measure. But now a new legal complaint is charging that his payments to Clifford slash Daniels may have actually violated the law. It also raises the question, at least in my mind, uh, as to whether the, whether the situation may have opened up the president of the United States to compromise and potential blackmail against him himself. On Monday, longtime good government watchdog group Common Cause filed complaints with both the Department of Justice and the Federal Election Commission, alleging that the payment of $130,000 to Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, through an LLC, was an unreported in-kind contribution to President Trump's 2016 presidential campaign committee in violation of the Federal Election Campaign Act, or FICA, the complaint also asked the agencies to determine whether the payment was made by the Trump organization or some other corporation or individual, which would additionally make it an illegal in-kind contribution to the campaign, according to Common Cause's press release issued on Monday. Corporations, they write, are still prohibited from contributing to federal candidates directly uh, or at all, and individual contributions are limited to $2,700. 
The American people expect and deserve transparency when it comes to money spent to influence elections, and those requirements are not optional, no matter how embarrassing the reason behind the expense, said Karen Hobart Flynn, president of Common Cause. Paul S. Ryan, Common Cause vice president for policy and litigation, said, quote, These apparent violations are not simple bookkeeping errors, but seemingly a deliberate evasion of the laws on the books to ensure Americans get a full accounting of the money raised and spent by and for candidates for the presidency. Joining us now to discuss the legal complaints filed this week is Paul S. Ryan. Paul Seamus Ryan, the good Paul Ryan, not the evil one, is vice president of policy and litigation at Common Cause. Before joining Common Cause in October of 2016, he worked as deputy executive director for the Campaign Legal Center, our friends over there, whose crucial work we have also covered for years on this program. Paul S. Ryan, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. We have been uh, covering your work for, for years, as I said, on this program and at bradblog.com, uh, the excellent legal work and lawsuits brought by the uh, Campaign Legal Center. So I'm delighted to see you're continuing that work over at uh, Common Cause of late. I've got a number of questions to ask you about this Trump Stormy Daniels case, um, but maybe because the whole thing makes me want to take a shower, uh, I want to <laughs> I want to forestall that just for a bit to ask you a couple of quick questions about some issues over the past 24 hours that you may have, I'm hoping, some insight on uh, less salacious issues for for a quick moment. Uh, yesterday, in uh, in reporting on the short federal government shutdown over the weekend, we played audio on this program from the outgoing message of the White House comment line. Here was that message that was heard when when folks called the White House over the weekend and into Monday during the shutdown before the government was reopened. Thank you for calling the White House. Unfortunately, we cannot answer your call today because congressional Democrats are holding government funding, including funding for our troops and other national security priorities, hostage to an unrelated immigration debate. Due to this obstruction, the government is shut down. In the meantime, you can leave a comment for the president at www.whitehouse.gov forward slash contact. We look forward to taking your calls as soon as the government reopens. <laughs> uh, Paul, is the White House use of its comments line to blame Democrats for the shutdown of the weekend? Is that even close to legal? It's definitely a violation of federal ethics rules. The problem you know, and the ethics rules that violate it is the rule that prohibits the use of government taxpayer resources for partisan political purposes. Mm -hmm. The problem, though, is that ethics rules in the executive branch are enforced by the executive branch. There's mm -hmm. no centralized office with any real enforcement power. The Office of Government Ethics is nominally in charge, but they can't impose any penalties on anyone in the executive branch. They defer to the heads of the actual departments. In this case, they'd be deferring to Don McGahn, White House counsel, mm -hmm. to enforce the rules within the White House. And uh, Don's no, you know, I know Mr. McGahn, I've known him for years. He's a formal federal, former Federal Election Commission commissioner. Mm -hmm. um, He's no fan of, of ethics laws or campaign finance mm. laws, so we're not going to see any penalties here. There's, there's nothing we can re really do about it, but, yep, violation. Oh, what about the Hatch Act? Doesn't the, at least the woman who made that recording, isn't she violating as a federal employee, isn't she violating the, uh, the, the, the Hatch Act with that message? Um, 
Arguably, yes, but again, question is enforcement. Is there going to be any any enforcement gotcha. on this? All right. Uh, last night, um, in another small matter like this, uh, Tennessee's Republican Senator Lamar Alexander tweeted, uh, quote, I enjoyed having dinner tonight at the home of Senator John Cornyn and his wife, Sandy, with our newest Supreme Court Justice, Neil Gorsuch. Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao, who's the wife of uh, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and a few of my other Senate colleagues to talk about important issues facing our country. Paul, a dinner meeting with Republican senators, uh, members of Trump's cabinet, and a Supreme Court justice? Is that in any way appropriate, even if law, even if it's lawful, as, as I presume it is? Um. Yep, lawful. One of the one of the problems that Common Cause has been complaining about for years is the lack of a mandatory ethics code on Supreme Court justices. All other judges around the country, state court judges, mm. lower level federal court judges, they all have to abide by ethics rules. The Supreme Court has no mandatory ethics rules. So um, this type of dinner certainly raises appearances of impropriety, but even if a case that directly relates to or were discussed at this dinner or were to come before the Supreme Court, for example, mm-hmm. there's no rule, no way to require a justice who is present at such dinner to recuse themselves. So, again, we have lots of holes in our ethics rules. The <laughs> yeah. Trump administration is exploiting many or all of them. It's bad news, but not a lot of legal recourse here. It's it's kind of amazing, and I want to just underscore what you said, that the, the federal courts, uh, federal judges... They all have uh, certain rules they must follow. Those rules don't apply to Supreme Court justices, which is kind of mind-blowing. We talked about it before in the show, but it's amazing. All right. Uh, finally, before we get to the uh, to the presidential uh, porn-related matters, uh, on Monday, Paul, the, um, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court tossed out that state's U.S. House District map, finding that it was illegally gerrymandered by the Republican-controlled state legislature under state law, a violation of the state constitution. Now, a similar case, the one decided by a federal court panel a week or so ago in North Carolina, found that that state's GOP legislature also gerrymandered Uh, U.S. House uh, districts in violation, that one, of the U.S. Constitution. Now, in North Carolina, where the uh, panel had ordered that new maps be drawn up immediately in time for the 2018 primaries, uh, in that case, the Republicans uh, filed an appeal to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, And in Pennsylvania, where the state Supreme Court also ordered new maps to be drawn up in time for the 2018 primaries, the Republicans there have said they will seek a similar stay from the federal courts or the Supreme Court. But in Pennsylvania, it wasn't a federal court ruling. It was a state court ruling based on that state's constitution. Do you have any idea on what legal basis that the... uh, Pennsylvania Republican Party could even go to federal courts, uh, much less the U.S. Supreme Court, in that matter? Uh, To put it bluntly, no, I don't think the Republicans in Pennsylvania have a legal leg to stand on. I don't think they have any credible argument to make. I think that the stay in the the North Carolina case, which is the name of it is Common Cause v. Rucho, we are the uh, Uh, plaintiffs in that case, Right. that stay was unfortunate. I think we will prevail at the end of the day on the merits down the line. But 
Um, but there is, as you indicated, the North Carolina case that we litigated. It's a U.S. constitutional case, so the court, U.S. Supreme Court has jurisdiction there. Mm-hmm. But no, I have no idea what the Pennsylvania GOP thinks they're going to do or how they're going to approach uh, getting some sort of relief from the U.S. Supreme Court on a state constitutional matter. So beyond whether they uh, have a good case or not in that particular fight, it's not even clear to you. I'm glad it's not clear to you because it wasn't clear to me what you know legal basis they even have to go to federal court as they've as they promised. No idea. No idea. All right. Well, I can't put it off any longer. Uh, this is a matter of the presidential president's uh, lawyer forming an LLC to make this $130,000 payment in apparent hush money to an adult film actress with, uh, with whom he allegedly had an affair. So Common Cause has now filed a complaint with both the uh, FEC, Federal Elections Commission, and the DOJ. How is the payment a potential violation of the Federal Elections Campaign Act, or uh, or FICA, as uh, you and Common Cause see this? So there's a couple of pieces of campaign finance law at play here. I'm going to break them down into two categories. Mm-hmm. The first seems to me to be a, a very obvious and clear violation of federal campaign finance law, and that is the failure by the Trump campaign committee to report Team Trump's $130,000 payment of hush money to Stormy Daniels as an expenditure. Uh, Federal campaign finance law defines the term expenditure as it applies to political committees like Trump's campaign committee as any payment for the purpose of influencing an election. Here we have an agent of Donald Trump, Michael Cohen, his Mm -hmm. personal lawyer, making a $130,000 payment to hush up Stormy Daniels about three weeks before the general election seems pretty clear to me that that's an expenditure under the definition of that term in the campaign finance law. Consequently, the Trump campaign committee was required to do two things. It was required to report that payment as an expenditure. It was also required to report the source of the funds as a contribution coming into the committee. It did neither. So in our view, it pretty clearly establishes a violation of the campaign finance law reporting requirements. Now, the second uh, legal issue that this transaction raises is uh, has to do with the contribution itself. Where did this money come from? Mm-hmm. If the $130,000 came from Donald Trump's pocket, his own personal funds, then there is no other second violation um, because candidates are permitted under the Supreme Court's interpretation of the Constitution to spend as much of their own money as they want to get elected. There's mm-hmm. no limits on it. But if this money came from the Trump organization, mm. and again, uh, Michael Cohn was the top lawyer at the Trump organization at the time, that is an illegal corporate contribution to the Trump campaign. If the money came from someone or some entity other than the Trump organization and not out of Trump's own pocket, then it's similarly an illegal contribution. If it came from an individual, it would be illegal because it's much larger than the $2,700 contribution limit. So. At a minimum here, we seem to be looking at a campaign finance disclosure violation because the Trump campaign committee didn't report any of this. Mm-hmm. And unless the money came from Trump's own pocket, then we're also talking about a contribution violation as well. Can an argument be made, as I suspect they will if, this, if they get pressed on this, that, oh, this has nothing to do with the, uh, w- with the campaign. This was not meant to affect the campaign. This was a, a private affair, so to speak, and uh, we just didn't want this to go public to hurt my reputation. I mean, in truth, he could have made this payment, 
you know, two, three years. Uh, the the uh, su- uh, supposed affair happened back in 2006. He could have made it any time. Uh, w- w- would that stand up that, oh, this had nothing to do with the campaign at all? They will undoubtedly make that argument, but I think that argument should be rejected by the Federal Election Commission. I think that argument should be re- rejected by the DOJ, and I certainly think that argument, if this thing gets all the way to a courtroom, should be rejected by a jury, and, and I, I think it should be rejected for a few reasons. Timing being a really big reason. This Again, this payment came three weeks before the general election. It also came a week after the Access Hollywood tapes went public. So mm. we're talking about a time at which the Trump campaign was reeling from uh, the Access Hollywood tapes, mm-hmm. from a sexual misconduct-related scandal. And second, factual element here that really, really weighs heavily in favor of finding this to be an expenditure, a payment to influence the election, is that Stormy Daniels was reportedly in conversations with Good Morning America, Slate, perhaps other publications, to go public. Um, So those two facts, the timing with the eminent threat of by Stormy Daniels that she was going public with her story, to me, makes this uh, clearly stand out as a a payment that was all about the election and keeping her quiet up to and until the election. Now, the federal election, FECA, Federal Election Campaign Act, uh, those laws are generally the purview of the uh, FEC uh, in general, as I understand it. But as we've seen in other recent cases uh, filed with the uh, Federal Elections Commission, this they are hopelessly deadlocked, at least in most cases, involving Republicans over recent years uh, in a sort of three to three partisan split among the commissioners. Uh, do you expect this case uh, might be any uh, might be any different given the record we've seen in recent years from the FEC? I guess I'd be crazy to say, yeah, this is definitely <laughs> different. We're definitely going to see enforcement action here. I have no doubt that there will be a career staff lawyers in the enforcement division at the FEC that think this warrants an investigation, mm-hmm. and they would love nothing more than to dig into it and to conduct that investigation. But they might be blocked by the political appointees above them, specifically the three Republicans um, on the commission. It takes four votes to mm-hmm. do anything mm-hmm. and at the FEC. There are currently three Republicans, two Democrats on the commission. This may not go anywhere at the FEC because of the political appointees. And similarly, at the DOJ, we have a DOJ that's headed by uh, Attorney General Sessions, who yeah. is a surrogate and early supporter of the Trump campaign. So, again, there, hopefully, some uh, some line attorneys and investigators at the DOJ will dig into this, and they won't be blocked by political staff above them. But we'll see. Uh, yeah, I noticed you uh, wrote your uh, the complaint includes a cover letter that was sent to Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein since Jeff Sessions is supposedly recused from matters uh, regarding the election itself since he was a member of the the Trump campaign. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way the Trump administration has been strong arming the DOJ itself in various ways. Uh, I, I guess my question is, you know, is there any hope that this complaint will be legitimately investigated there? Um, it, it, yeah. You know, it strikes me as a long shot, but I'll say this. You know, I've been doing this work for 20 years. I now have the privilege of working on behalf of Common Cause's 1.1 million members and on behalf of the American people. And I'm going to keep bringing these complaints. We are going to keep raising the red flag when we see violations of the law. And and if the FEC refuses to do its job or the DOJ refuses to, to do its job, that's out of our control. But 
I have a job to do, and that's to call foul when I see a clear violation of the law or even a reasonable mm-hmm. suspicion that would warrant an investigation. I'm going to keep doing it. Is there any option uh, to file a civil suit of some sort yourself if uh, the neither the FEC or the DOJ take up the matter? Uh, yes, sort of. The first opportunity to do that will be in 120 days if the FEC does not act on our complaint. Mm-hmm. But in that matter, it's a civil suit against the FEC. It's called what we, election lawyers would call a delay suit. And mm-hmm. you're suing the FEC for its failure to act on your complaint. And the FEC can really draw those types of suits out for years. All they have to do is send their lawyers to court and say, well, we did act. We didn't resolve it yet, but we read the complaint. And, you know, and they can literally draw the, one of those suits out for years. Mm. At the end of the day, if the FEC chooses not to bring an enforcement action to pursue a, a fine against the wrongdoers, at that juncture, it is possible to, for, there is a cause of action for a private party like Common Cause to sue the alleged wrongdoers, but that would be a few years down the road. And what are the potential punishments that we're talking about if either the FEC or the DOJ determines a violation of law in this matter, and, and can a sitting president uh, be fined if uh, the money was discovered to have been you know, paid by the president himself in this matter? So in the FEC... We're talking fines, mm-hmm. and it is a maximum fine in the amount of uh, double the amount of the violation. So here, a fine up to two hundred sixty thousand mm-hmm. dollars would be what we're talking about as a max. DOJ criminal prosecution, it is a fine in this up to a fine of that same amount, plus up to five years of imprisonment for a criminal conviction. Oh. Very rare in the campaign finance context, but you want to know what the penalties on the books are? Mm-hmm. It's a fine up to two hundred percent of the violation and imprisonment up to five years. In terms of a president being indicted or prosecuted or convicted, um, we have not named the president himself in our complaints. We've named his campaign committee. However, we do mention on the second page of our cover letter to the DOJ mm-hmm. that there's one law at play here that's not within the FEC's jurisdiction. It's not covered in our FEC complaint. It's not part of the campaign finance laws. It's a more general criminal statute that prohibits making materially false statements to the federal government. Uh. This is a statute that John Edwards was prosecuted for mm-hmm. violating uh, in a similar scandal that it, it, he was involved in during the 2008 election and the years after it. Um, and the DOJ could prosecute the president if there was the sufficient evidence, if there was evidence that the president caused, knew all about, and then caused his political committee to file a false disclosure report with the FEC, that would be a violation of the criminal statute. That's about the only way that I can see the president himself being mm. on the hook. And then you do get into those immunity issues. Can right. the president be indicted? And great legal minds greater than mine are divided on that legal question. On whether, uh, even if there are criminal violations, uh, an indictment can be brought against a sitting president. Correct. And that's a, that's a conversation that and a debate that has played out in recent months, um, predating our complaint this week in the context of other campaign finance and other possible violations by the president for collusion with Russia, etc. 
It will, a lot of disagreement on that point. Yeah, I know. It will be amazing if that doesn't get sorted out one way or another over these next uh, three years at this point. Uh, finally, Paul S. Ryan, uh, is there a danger of compromise or blackmail in a case like this? Uh, it, you know, isn't Trump in danger of being blackmailed by someone like uh, Stormy Daniels or really anybody else with whom he may have uh, made a similar agreement to hide potential wrongdoing that we may not even know about yet at this point. There could be others out there. Is is that a concern that we should have? Uh, certainly, yeah. I mean, that's one of the big concerns, a significant issue in the whole Russia election meddling investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, concerns that President Trump, concerns that uh, Michael Flynn, when he was briefly part of Trump's administration, was vulnerable to blackmail for covering up their own wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that was a big, big deal with Michael Flynn. It's one of the things that most concerned the Department of Justice when they raised that, this concern to the White House very early in the Trump presidency. Hey, Michael Flynn is lying to you, President. This makes him vulnerable to blackmail. Um, do something about it. Mm-hmm. And he didn't last long in the White House. <laughs> No, and and that's those concerns are true. I should say, you know, to even people who are dubious about what uh, the involvement, coordination, collusion, whatever you want to use uh, with Russia, that Team Trump may have had. As soon as you start lying on your federal forms, uh, if there were, uh, you know, business deals from years ago uh, between uh, someone in Russia and the Trump campaign that uh, is a problem of some sort, that alone seems like is is very troubling and concerning, opening up uh, these folks to compromise. And I do wonder if there will be other women coming forward uh, in the wake of Stormy Daniels. Uh, Paul S. Ryan, really appreciate uh, the work you guys do, of course, at uh, Common Cause and your willingness to continue bringing these suits, no matter what the response may be from the DOJ or FEC. And I hope you won't mind if we bother you again in the in the near future on one of those suits or if, who knows, maybe we'll be lucky. Maybe there actually will be action taken on this particular suit. It's always a pleasure being a guest on your show. I would love to come back at the next uh, opportunity, so please give a call. Thank you, sir. You can find Paul S. Ryan on the Twitters at the Paul S. Ryan. You can follow Common Cause there as well at Common Cause, and of course on the web at CommonCause.org. Thanks again, Paul. Thank you. Okay, a quick break, and we will be back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, did you have time for a quick shower uh, over the break there after the story of Donald Trump and the porn star? Yeah, what really concerns me is the fact that there just is no enforcement of ethics rules anymore. Well, no, there isn't. 
But there is our latest Green News report. We have five that are confirmed missing. Explosion at Oklahoma natural gas rig. We can't wait another month. Treasury Department withholds disaster funds from Puerto Rico. Trump slaps big tariffs on solar panels imported from China. Plus, keeping national parks open during a government shutdown? Incredibly idiotic, says former director of national parks. All of that incredible idiocy and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Trump is the only person who watched Deepwater Horizon and cheered for the oil. He's like, come on, Slick, you can do it! This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, another day, another fossil fuel disaster. Yes, unfortunately, five rig workers are missing in eastern Oklahoma after the natural gas drilling rig they were working on exploded on Monday, destroying the rig and engulfing their entire work site in flames. Twenty rig workers were rescued, but in a press conference, Pittsburgh County, Oklahoma, emergency manager Kevin Enlow said emergency crews had to be pulled back due to multiple other explosions at the site where several fuel storage tanks are also located. We're not trying to spread, put water on it and spread the um, hazmat, if you will, because there's going to be lots of contaminants on location. So they're not pumping water on it at this time. We're just letting the fire... run its course. The Trump administration on Monday announced it would impose a steep 30 percent tariff on imported solar panels from China after the U.S. International Trade Commission ruled last year that China had flooded the U.S. market with imported panels. That drove the expansion of solar energy in the United States, but it undercut domestic manufacturers. The U.S. Solar Energy Industries Association warns the new tariffs will raise the cost of solar energy installations and slow the spread of renewable energy harming the U.S. industry as a whole because they say the vast majority of the nation's solar jobs are now in installation. You would think that the solar industry here in the U.S. would be delighted about these tariffs, but A, there already are tariffs on Chinese panels, and B, the industry says it's going to cost as many as 23,000 American jobs. The Trump administration Department of Homeland Security on Monday also officially waived dozens of environmental regulations in order to speed up construction of Trump's proposed wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. Of course they did. The waiver excludes the construction from major laws, including the National Environmental Policy Act, the Endangered Species Act, the Clean Water Act, the National Historic Preservation Act, and the Antiquities Act, among others. Laws. Who needs them? The temporary shutdown of the federal government ended on Monday when Senate Democrats joined Republicans to pass temporary stopgap legislation to fund the government for three weeks. Now, unlike during past shutdowns, the Trump administration chose to keep national parks open during the short shutdown without park staff or even open bathrooms in a public relations move to avoid angering the public. Former National Park Service Director Jonathan Jarvis, however, called keeping the parks open without staff, quote, incredibly idiotic and a move that could endanger public safety. And it's interesting, you know, that the national parks are the first thing that the Republicans always wish to cut, to trim back, to lease out to oil drilling and logging interests. But when it comes to the shutdowns, 
They don't want to close those parks because they know that with the American people, these national parks are wildly popular. With the government now reopened, Democratic Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland called for an immediate push for new additional disaster relief funding for Americans still struggling with the record number of billion-dollar extreme weather disasters from last year. Many of my colleagues have talked about disaster relief. We certainly need to give help to the communities of Texas and Florida, the Puerto Rico, the wildfires of West. We, we know that we've got to get that done now. We can't wait another month. Speaking of disaster relief, in Puerto Rico, more than a million Americans are still without electricity, more than four months after Hurricane Maria hit. However, the Trump administration, Treasury Department, and FEMA have denied funds to the island from a billion-dollar emergency loan that was approved by Congress last year. The agencies are withholding the loan money on technical grounds that Puerto Rico currently has too much cash on hand and is therefore not poor enough to qualify for cash dis- disbursement of the loan funds for operating expenses. Incredible. Also, it's important to note that Texas and Florida received federal grants for their hurricane disaster relief. Only Puerto Rico was saddled with a loan that must be repaid. Because we all know that Puerto Ricans really aren't real U.S. citizens, right? At least not in the mind of Donald Trump. Apparently so. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website, at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. I like to be in America. Okay, by me in America. Everything free in America. For a small fee in America. Okay. Yes, indeed. Yep, it's unfortunate, but that's where we are. Yep. Thank you very much, Desi Doyne. I appreciate that report. Uh, and uh, thank you for producing today's show, as ever, <laughs> Desi Doyen. Also, my thanks to our guest today, Paul S. Ryan, Paul Seamus Ryan of Common Cause, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com where this week we will be celebrating our 14th anniversary at bradblog.com. Tell me about it. (laughs) I think most of those 14 years have taken place over the past year alone. (laughs) Go figure. So uh, thanks to those of you who, uh, while you're there, stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do the work that we try to do every day, even into our 15th year. That's bradblog.com slash donate. We rely on you, not big corporations, not political parties. We rely on you, the listener. Please don't let us down. Uh, you can also drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I hope you will find us, follow us, and share us worldwide there at the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.